Hello and welcome to this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. This is Michael Benner in Los Angeles. Thanks a lot for being with us as we discuss this week the topic of refusing to take the bait. This is, I think, an important topic because we all know the feeling of getting hooked, of finding ourselves having taken the bait before we actually realize it. Although my premise here is that we're so interested in blaming the outer world, other individuals or groups of people or circumstances or events beyond our control, that rarely, if ever, do we look at the responsibility and therefore the opportunity to be accountable and say, you know, I should have recognized that there was a hook inside that big fat earthworm, that juicy night crawler, that minnow. There was a hook in there, and boy, did I take it. What's the saying? Hook, line, and sinker. I just <laughs> swallow the whole damn thing. And then it could be hours, days, weeks later, often never, that we realize that we've taken the bait. This is just a variation on talking about getting your buttons pushed, except I think it's a little more colorful and poignant when you say, boy, not only did they push my buttons, but I took the hook. I mean... What are your buttons wired to, and where is your responsibility in understanding that although others push your buttons, you need not respond? So I like the allegory of taking the hook. I think it makes it easier for us to see that we do have responsibility, accountability, uh, opportunity, really, to stop doing that, right? and to be happier and more content in the long run. We don't have to give our power away. And this may not occur to a lot of people, but it's true. We can learn to stop giving our power to other people to hurt us or frustrate us or irritate us, um, to yank our chain again, run us around the block, push our buttons or to get us to take the bait. That's the allegory we're going to use today, refusing to take the bait. Pema Chodron talks about this a lot, and she points out that in Tibetan Buddhism, there is a word, Shenpa, it's an old Pali word, ancient word. And Shenpa means literally attachment. But it's more than attachment. It's really the emotional charge, the tightening or the closing down that we feel when we've taken the bait, when somebody has said something that irritates us. And my proposal, in keeping with the teaching of Buddhism and Eastern philosophy, the basic awakening of Taoism and many forms of philosophy, East, Middle East, and West, for that matter, is to wake up just to be more aware. Higher consciousness 
is expanded awareness. In a sense, that means understanding. And it's the antidote to anxiety and confusion, what we could actually call fear, as well as stress or distress. And all of the negative emotions, the hurt and the heartache, the angst and the anger that it supports. So the problem is fear, the symptom is the hurt, the antidote is awareness, and we can wake up. We can become more aware. I think it really requires a practice of meditation. It really requires some sort of commitment to observing yourself and almost anticipating that you have a part of you that's going to be very defensive. It's technically the ego. And I don't mean that in a Freudian sense. I mean by ego or your egoic nature, that part of you that identifies as a separated individual. Uh, Survival-based, always frightened, always afraid, easily confused, even when simply contradicted. I'll share a story with you from just the other night. John Stewart on The Daily Show, if you live outside America, you may not be familiar. The Daily Show, hosted by John Stewart out of New York City, is a national program in the States that pokes fun at the news and current events, a lot of it government and politics and It's rather progressive, and it's always hilarious. And there's a guest segment, usually about two-thirds of the way into the half-hour program. uh, John Stewart will bring out a guest, often a book author or a movie star that's promoting their film or an author promoting their book. And... Recently, this British woman came out to promote a film that she was in, and just off the top of his head, as Stuart is prone to do, he made a wisecrack about the British having lost a particular bracket in the World Cup soccer tournaments that are ongoing. And this woman took offense, not because she's a soccer player, but because she's British, identifies with her nationalism as a Brit. British people, including her apparently, uh, love soccer. They call it football, as most of the world does. In America, we call it soccer. And she took offense. She took the bait. Even though it was not John Stewart's intention to bait her or hurt her or upset her. Quite the contrary, he wanted to be a really good host and help promote her, but his wisecrack was taken defensively. And boy, she answered with a stinging rebuke. She was upset, you could tell. I mean, they joked a little about it, made light of it. Stuart tried to change the subject, but you could tell she was irritated. And I ask myself, well, there it is. That's Shen Pa. That's her attachment to her identity, first, as a British citizen, secondly, as uh, apparently a football or soccer fan, 
And therefore, if the British team has lost and been eliminated from the World Cup, uh, she should be disappointed as a soccer fan and get defensive even if somebody jokingly makes a wisecrack about how does it feel to lose the World Cup. Now, (laughs) don't you think that's interesting? I mean, maybe she didn't really care that much about football or soccer, but it is the World Cup after all, and she is British. She identified with her nation. Well, why even do that? Why identify with the British soccer football team? Why identify with the nation of England, most of us do. We're nationalistic and and proud of our country, like team spirit in high school or college. You root for your alma mater or commercial sports. If you live in New York, you're a Yankees fan. You live in L.A., of course you root for the Dodgers and so on. But why? What's the big deal? Why would you take personally these associations and affiliations. And if it's to have fun, okay, I understand that. Maybe it's more fun to be on one side or another, and therefore more fun if your side wins, though you have to suffer the consequence if your team loses. But why not just be a human being that likes the game, that doesn't care if... France or Germany or Portugal or Uruguay or Ghana or South Africa or the United States wins if it's a good game and a good series of games and everybody has fun cheering. Why take it personally? And the answer is the ego. Because ultimately your egoic nature is a false ID. It's not real. It's really your persona, your personality. The word persona, of course, means mask. So for hundreds, even thousands of years, those who've thought about it understood that on some level, your personality is a character that you assume, rather like an actor in a stage play or a movie. And we would deny it. We say, no, I'm being real. But If you think about it, you don't behave the same with your friends. If you're all guys and none of the wives are around, compared to the way you behave if it's couples, men and women together, compared to the way you behave if your kids are there or not, compared to the way you behave if your boss is there or your parents are there or... You understand my point. And so we could say, well, of course, my behavior changes, my speech changes, uh, the type of language that I use changes, but I'm really the same inside. Well, are you? Really? And if you're prone to becoming defensive... If somebody says something to you that pushes your buttons, that, again, yanks your chain, that irritates you, frustrates you, even if they didn't intend to bait you, but nevertheless, you got hooked, 
where is that defensiveness coming from? What is it you're defending? Is that the real self? Because if you believe it is, I'd have you consider that the self you defend when you're behaving in a defensive way, when you're hurt, is not the truth of who you are. And with a bit of dedication and commitment to a practice of mindfulness, particularly in deeply relaxed, contemplative and meditative states, for there is the mindfulness of being in a meditative state, but also the mindfulness of being awake and going through your daily life and affairs, eating, walking, having conversation with other people. Mindfulness would be the antithesis of mindlessness, where you're just spaced out and not paying attention. Mindfulness is a gentle focus slightly detached, one step back of the experience of the present moment without a whole lot of judgment or extrapolation or imagination or even naming and labeling. and You don't have to do any of that. You can witness from a place of equanimity with an attitude of, well, that may be. The next time somebody contradicts you and challenges you, why don't you try that phrase? Just say to yourself, and then perhaps out loud, when someone disagrees with you, even pointedly, well, that may be. And notice what happens to the emotional charge. It's drained, it's grounded, it's dissipating before your very eyes. Do you really have to be right? Do you really have to stand up for yourself? Isn't that an odd phrase? Or as some people might say, well, I can't let them get away with that. I have to set them straight. They're wrong. And, well, if it's a great matter of some social injustice, if somebody is behaving or speaking in a way that is racist or sexist or grossly unaware of genocide and uh, some grand injustice and you want to correct them, well, you can still do it without a personally defensive, somewhat hostile or aggressive emotional charge. You can. And there's a freedom in that, a remarkable freedom. You need to ask yourself, would I rather be right or would I rather understand? Is it possible as Aristotle proposed 2,500 years ago, to hold multiple points of view that may even be contradictory, reflect and review them without being particularly committed to any one position. Can you see the relative merit? That's a big part of this, is getting off absolutism and the either-or mentality to see the relative merit in this or that. To see the 80-20, the 30-70, the 49-51, and say, well, 
You know, I don't really agree with your position, but I can see that you've got some pretty good points. And if I were in your position, I might feel differently about it. I mean, that's a very balanced approach and allows you to remain humble and kind and respectful. And you don't have to be this arrogant, narcissistic know-it-all that is constantly challenging anyone and everyone simply because they disagree with you. People don't like others who do that. And frankly, people who do that, if they were honest, really don't like themselves when they do it. They just don't know any other way to be. Maybe it's as easy as offering you the language. You may even want to write it down. That may be. Write it down. That may be. Try it out. See how it works. Or here's another one. I understand how you feel. I know for a fact, having counseled people for three and a half, four decades, a lot of folks don't like to say that because they're afraid that implied is some agreement or some concession, or if not implied, perhaps it'll be inferred by the person listening. Oh, that means you agree, or you'll go along, you'll comply, because you understand how I feel. No, no, I don't agree, and if I'm in authority, I may not comply with your request, but fact of the matter is, I do understand how you feel. I can hold both of those positions on my head. I can see the relative merit in your arguments and acknowledge them to you. Now, if somebody's deliberately baiting you, that's one thing. I think most of the time when we, quote, take the bait and end up feeling hooked or getting our buttons pushed, that's the other allegory we've been using here, I'm really of the opinion that most people are not deliberately trying to upset us. But I'd have you consider this is the root of everything from marital discord and other family disputes, parent-child power trips and and boss-employee and, and global warfare is the emotional immaturity of people who need to be right and would rather be a know-it-all and have their correctness validated and affirmed than to be a little softer, a little more malleable and still stand for what you stand for, assert yourself and say, well, I feel this way, my particular feeling is this, but I get your point, I understand how you could feel that way. That may be... In sales, there's a technique I learned years ago that I really like that sort of proceeds from I understand how you feel. We call it feel, felt, found. And instead of trying to overcome an objection, if you're presenting a product or a service or the advantage of signing up for this or that, and you get an objection, don't overcome it. Don't contradict it. Acknowledge it. Say, I understand how you feel. In fact, I felt that way myself in the past. And then the third element is, 
But here's what I found. So the three elements feel, felt, found, they're first the acknowledgement. I understand that. I understand totally how you feel. As a matter of fact, here's part two. I used to think the same thing. I felt that same way. But here's what I found. Often, as soon as they're acknowledged by somebody who disagrees with them but still acknowledges the merit in their position, they drop their guard. And then when you say, but here's what I found, they're much more amenable and open to understanding your position, which, given the kind of people that I know you are listening to this program, you're going to be honest and truthful, and you're advancing what you think is a good product or service that somebody's really going to benefit from. You're not trying to get over on them. You just want to help them be more intelligent and see the wisdom in what you're proposing. Well, that's the opening part. This is the part we're going to podcast and and if you're enrolled for the premium training, stay with us because we're going to continue and add a program from the archives at our sister site, FocusedPassion.com, on this similar topic, this same basic vein. But for the podcast people, this part's absolutely free, heard all over the world in 35 countries at last count, and continuing to grow. We're in our sixth year, closing in on seven years. All those programs are in the iTunes store. You can also listen via Stitcher. And Stitcher is now streaming to some of the new automobile dashboards also, as well as your other mobile devices, your tablets and smartphones and such. So you don't need to download the podcast when you use Stitcher, free apps for both Android and iPhones at stitcher.com. You can also listen right on your laptop or your desktop computer with Stitcher. And then the iTunes store, of course, for those who want to have it automatically downloaded into their aggregator of choice. So thanks a lot for being with us. Again, stay tuned for the premium training. If you'd like to register You have a few days to do that up until the next newsletter comes out and you'll get this particular program. When the next newsletter comes out, we stay current and you enroll for the premium training at our primary website, theagelesswisdom.com. The W's dot theagelesswisdom.com. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. So long from my life.